Well, good morning. Greet each one of you in Jesus' name, the one who is worthy, the one who gave himself for us and dedicated himself to us. And happy Mother's Day. It's a beautiful morning to celebrate Mother's Day. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about Mother's Day. It can mean different things to different people. And just out of curiosity, I looked up a couple statistics on Mother's Day just to see yeah, what, what Mother's Day is about in, in the world. So approximately $35.7 billion are spent on Mother's Day. And of that, $3.2 billion is spent on flowers. And uh, some of that is, is my money. Um, 113 million cards, estimate. And it's, it's said that there's more phone calls made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year. It's interesting to, to think about that. And, and it's typically, typically the busiest day of the year for restaurants. And uh, mother, I've heard that before, Mother's Day is, is uh, the restaurant day. And it's not just an American holiday. I actually didn't realize this, but more than 100 countries celebrate some kind of Mother's Day, and most of them are today. So it's a worldwide event, and like most other holidays, it is commercialized. I mentioned the, the money that's, that's uh, spent on Mother's Day. But I think what it does well is remind us to honor our mothers and to recognize the important role that, that mothers play. So we have this yearly reminder, Mother's Day. And that's good. I think the holidays that we observe and that we choose to remember reflect what we see as important. So I think it's good to have uh, Mother's Day. And it helps us to follow the command in the Bible to honor our parents. That's brought out in the Bible, uh, different places of honoring parents. Honor your father and mother, and it's something that can be easy to forget. You know, whether we're living at home, um, if you're, you're still at home with your parents and maybe don't like some of the restrictions that are there, and we can forget what they actually do for us and the, the commitment that they have. Or maybe we're moved out and uh, we just simply forget that where we are today is in large part due to the influence of our mother. So it's a high calling and it deserves recognition. And when you think about the important things in life, it always comes back to relationships and the foundational relationships in life are in the family. So I think this holiday is good. Mother's Day, bringing focus back to something that we can tend to forget. And I realize as well that Mother's Day can be a reminder of some painful circumstances. Maybe it's infertility, the, the inability to have children, or maybe it's a strained relationship. A relationship is strained or the loss of a mother. There's, there can be different emotions that go along uh, with, with Mother's Day and, and I recognize that, but uh, my goal is to just put that proper focus on, on, on recognition of what mothers do, what they have done, 
Sometimes we refer to things as being thankless jobs and something that somebody has to, has to do and not any, many people notice, it's taken for granted, but a mother's role should not be a thankless job. And how often do we thank our mothers for what they do? And maybe we need to thank them for what they did already. So as I was thinking about sharing this morning and uh, what to go over, there's one word that came to my mind just thinking about what uh, mothers do and the role that they play, and that is, uh, the word is dedication. I think we can agree that mothers are dedicated. And, you know, we just had a baby dedication this morning, and we, we dedicated our children to God, to the service of God. And when we dedicate something, we set it apart for a particular use. And uh, I think it's a good description of mothers. They are set aside and focused on their children, pours time and energy in, into children. So mothers are dedicated. I want to focus on that word, dedication. I think there's a lot that we can learn from mothers about dedication, and both for the mothers here uh, today and also the rest of us as well. So what I want to do this morning is look at three different stories of mothers in the Bible and the dedication, different aspects of dedication that, that they have shown. Now the first story I want to look at is a story of Hannah and Samuel. So you can turn with me if you want to 1 Samuel chapter 1 and we'll look at this story of, of Hannah. <clears throat> when we think of dedication, Hannah's probably one of the first names that comes to mind. She very clearly dedicated her son to God. And her story is in 1 Samuel chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 to 11. I won't read the entire story. 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now there was a certain man of Ramatham Zophim of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters portions, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had shut up her womb. And her adversary also provoked her sore to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Then said Elkanah her husband to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am I not better to thee than ten sons? So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by the post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if thou wilt indeed Look on the affliction of thine handmaid, and remember me, 
and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then will I give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And the story goes on. I think I'll stop there just for sake of time. So the this, this story of Hannah is probably one that we've heard before and uh, just gives a little background on their setting. She was one of two wives of this man named Elkanah, and she was the favorite one, but she didn't have any children. And there's echoes of, of Jacob and, and his two wives um, in, in this story here. And it's a scenario that's, that's hard for us to understand, this, this setting that we have here, multiple wives and the, the rivalry that comes from that just, just seems inevitable. The different contexts, we, we do see it happening different times in the Old Testament. Um, but Hannah did, did not have children, and uh, this, this really weighed heavily on her. And uh, it was really difficult. It talks about her, her adversary, and another translation calls it her rival. You know, this, this uh, second wife, Panina, was provoking and just rubbing it in and just making it all the worse. And, and I do realize that infertility is a, is a very difficult thing to deal with and uh, the inability to have children. And I know some people deal with this and, and the, the, the grief and sorrow are very real. I want to recognize and, and acknowledge that. And that's what we see here. There's an overwhelming grief that, that brings her to tears. It says she wept and did not eat. And uh, verse 10 describes it as bitterness of soul. And so each year it says that they went to the house of God in Shiloh. That's, that's where the Ark of the Covenant was at that time. That's the end of the, the period of the judges. And uh, we see that Eli was, was the high priest. And every year they, they came to worship and to sacrifice. So it seems like they're a, a devout family recognizing the, the worship time at, at Shiloh. And it seems like this was a sore spot for Hannah. Every year that this happened, uh, she was provoked by, by her rival. And uh, this one year that they went, um, it, it uh, just talks about the incredible um, bitterness of soul that she was in. This was, was really weighing on her, her childless situation. And we see her husband trying to help, and I'm not sure how much help his words were. Um, why is your heart grieved? Am I not better than, than ten sons? And we see her prayer um, as she's at the temple. Verse 11, she vowed a vow in, in her prayer. It said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and, and give me a child, then I will give him back to you. So she promises to give her son to God if, if she would, would uh, have a child. And she actually makes this promise that he will be a Nazarite. At the end of the verse, uh, verse 11, it says, no razor shall come on his head. And oftentimes we think about Samson, whom we think of Nazarites. He didn't cut his hair, but Samuel was one as well because of his mother's commitment. And there's more of the story that I didn't read. Um, Eli 
the high priest sitting there thinks that she's drunk. And uh, then she explains her situation, what she's praying for. And Eli changes his mind and, and gives her his blessing. And he says, may God grant you your request. And it, it happens that God does answer her prayer. And true to her word, she dedicates uh, her, her son after he was, uh, I believe it says after he was weaned, um, so I'm not sure how old he was, probably pretty young, that he was sent away as a priest. And uh, she, she dedicated him to God's service. And when she, she presents him to Eli, she sums up her story in a very beautiful statement, verses 27 and 28, and I'll read that from, from chapter 1. She says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has given me the petition which I ask of him. Therefore also I have lent, to, lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Lending to God. And you look at who Samuel turned out to be. The influence that he was on Israel, the blessing that he was. And it goes back to a mother's prayer and following through with, with dedication. So what does it mean to dedicate our children? We just had a dedication this morning. I was privileged to be a part of, and you know, it's probably not gonna look like Hannah's dedication. I'm guessing not many of us are gonna send off our children at a young age to, to serve as a priest. But in a way, dedication to God means that we are relinquishing control, giving up control over what we have dedicated. And a story came to my mind of uh, the pineapple story. I don't know if any of you have heard uh, Otto Koning share. I remember hearing it years ago. He was a missionary to Papua New Guinea. And uh, it's, it's an amazing testimony of uh, how he went over as a missionary to try to share the gospel, but he was holding on tightly to the things that he had and his pineapple fields, and, and he had trouble with theft and stealing, and finally in frustration, you know, he, he's trying to reach out and was just getting resentful and frustrated. Finally, he just says, you know what, God, it's all yours. I'm giving it to you. God, you take care of it. And something changed, and, and uh, it's, it's been a while since I heard it, but uh, his letting go made the difference, and they could tell. And, and he had this process of of giving everything to God, and even came down to his family as well. And it's a hard thing to do for us to hold what we have with an open hand. If we're holding on tight, God can't use it. But to, to hold with an open hand. And it's not that we send our children away as, as soon as we can, like Hannah, but to have the mindset that as we raise our children, we're preparing them for work in the service of God in, in some way. Not holding on tightly, but lending to God. I think it's just a beautiful phrase there. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. So the dedication of Hannah. Let's not forget the, the importance of prayer. She says, for this child I prayed. And I'm sure her prayers did not stop after Samuel was born. 
dedication. So the next story I want to look at is that of Jochebed and Moses. And that's found in Exodus chapter 2. And I'll read just a short um, couple verses here that talk about her dedication. A little bit different way, different aspect of dedication that that she demonstrated here. Exodus chapter 2, I'll read verses 1 to 3. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could no longer hide him, she took for him an ark out of bulrushes and daubed it with slime and with pitch and put the child therein. And she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And I think I'll stop there. So the setting here is Egypt. And Egypt had been a safe haven for the children of Israel. They went there to escape a famine they found deliverance from this, this famine in Egypt. But now we're several generations afterward. And this, this safe haven that they found uh, was becoming hostile. And it says there was a new pharaoh rose up who didn't remember Joseph and all that Joseph did uh, in, in preparing for the famine. And he saw that the Israelites were fruitful. They were multiplying and filling the land. And he became concerned. He saw this as a national security issue, and he decides he's gonna take care of this. So he comes up with a scheme to reduce the Israelite population. And that was that all the baby boys had to be thrown into the river. So this Nile River was the source of life for Egypt, but now it's becoming the source of death for Israel. And I can't quite imagine what a law like that would do the chaos that would come. And, and uh, it's just hard to wrap your mind around. I remember seeing uh, pictures in, in children's books of soldiers coming to the door and there's a baby hiding in the corner. So I, I don't know how it was enforced. Um, some speculation there, but for the law to have effect, it had to be enforced somehow. So um, in this setting here, we have um, this, this man and woman, and other uh, genealogies we find their names are Amram and Jochebed. And they had a baby. And it says they, they saw that he was a goodly child, and, and she hid him. And I just have to think that every mother would, would do this. Um, but, but she was risking potential consequences that, that could very well have meant death for her. So she hid him for three months, and, and later she places him in God's hands. So she made an ark out of bulrushes and pitched it and, and put this baby, Moses, in, in this ark and sends him off on the water. And I find it's an amazing parallel with the story of Noah, how Noah was saved in an ark through the water, and here Moses is as well. I believe it's a metaphor of salvation. So we can see what happened through that. We know the rest of the story. As he was sent off, he was found by the daughter of Pharaoh, ended up coming back to his mother, who took care of him for, for a while and sent him off to the palace. 
So in a way, it, it parallels the story of, of Hannah a little bit. She had to give up her son as well to live in the Egyptian palace. And Moses' parents are also mentioned in Hebrews 11. We call this the faith chapter. And Hebrews 11:23 says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's command. So the demonstration of faith, trusting God, that they, they showed, she showed her dedication by fearing God more than Pharaoh. And sometimes our dedication to our children means that we need to take risks. And along with that is, is fearing God. The risks that we take are connected with our fear of God. And in this scenario, it was a command that was ignored because they were fearing God. And I was, I was thinking how, how we can apply this today. I think another way, scenario, that, that we might face today is the tremendous force of the world's mold pushing to conform to our, our, our children, to conform to, to the world's mold. And, and I'm thinking of Romans 12, where it says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. And there's times that we need to push back against that. And, and it comes in different ways. And I just have to think of, of peer pressure, wanting to fit in, wanting to conform with uh, the wider culture around us, with outside forces, wanting to dictate who and what our children become. And it's very real. I mean, I'm uh, starting to get questions from my children about why we don't do certain things. Why do we do things this way? Why can't we do that? And it really makes you think seriously about what it means to fear God in our society. What does it mean to push back against the king's command like Jochebed because of our fear of God? What does it mean to say no to certain things because we don't want to allow that forming mold to, to form our children. I believe it shows our dedication if we're willing to, to wrestle with that question. And you look at where Moses ended up, you know, growing up in the palace, but ultimately choosing to identify with his people. And I'm sure the influence of his mother in those first few years, or however long he had with his mother, I'm sure that made a big impact on his decision, her dedication. Are we willing to push back where needed? It shows our dedication by being willing to do that. The last story I want to look at is of a Gentile widow and her son. And I would like to turn to 1 Kings chapter 17 for this story. And I'll just give a, a brief setting of this story, um, the, the, the building up to, to what, what this story is, is taking place in. So Israel is in a bad state. There's been a series of, of bad kings. The chapters before this are filled with conspiracies and kings taking out other kings and wiping out their, certain families and highlights the wickedness that was there in Israel at this time. And uh, we end up with Ahab becoming king of Israel. And Ahab is probably a familiar name 
We know, we, we have quite a few stories about Ahab compared to other kings. And it says of Ahab that he did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So he's basically just taking it to the next level. And at the beginning of chapter 17, we see Elijah with his pronouncement of no rain. And uh, then he God tells him to go camp out by this brook. And uh, after a while, the, the brook dries up, and he says, okay, now you need to go to Zarephath. And Zarephath is a, a town in a Gentile area. And that's where this, this story uh, comes into play. I'll start at verse 8. So First Kings 17, verse 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, Elijah, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongs to Zidon, and well there, behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. Behold, I am gathering two sticks, so that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after make for thee and for thy son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So this is really a powerful story, and it's one that we, we don't know a lot of details about this widow woman and her family. How old was the little boy? We, we don't know. I would guess he was small because the widow is gathering sticks. The boy is not gathering sticks. And what was their background? We don't know. They, they were from this, this Gentile area, Phoenicia. And... So um, we see that God told Elijah to go here, and, and he, he obeys, and, and he meets this, this widow gathering sticks, and he asks for a drink. And then when she's going to go get the drink, he says, hey, actually, get me some bread, too. And this is when she explains her scenario. Uh, she tells him, you know, we're, we're just about out of food. I'm gathering couple sticks here we're gonna you know, make our last meal and then we're gonna die and it's just hard to imagine being in a scenario like that staring death in the face and just have one more meal and that's it and we see that Elijah had the nerve to ask that she give him a meal first and it's, it just seems incredibly rude for him to say hey give me food first and I don't know, maybe there were cultural practices in that time that made it a little bit different. Um, I don't know. But he does add this promise in verse 14. 
It says, For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruse of oil fail until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. So now she's faced with a choice. And she has this, do, do I trust this stranger's promise that his God will provide? Or do I follow my own instincts? Do what seems good to me. You know, I, I, this is my last meal. And we see that she does take Elijah's word. She um, does what he says. <clears throat> and God does indeed uh, follow through with his promise to provide and through, the <clears throat> through the whole famine. They were cared for and provided for by God. And I believe this story is demonstrating how a foreign widow showed more faith in God than the people of Israel themselves. And it's actually a story that, that Jesus quotes um, when he's at uh, his hometown synagogue. So there was many widows in Israel, but God sent Elijah to a Gentile, a foreigner, and it almost ended up, he almost got thrown off a cliff for, for telling that story. And I think we can face the same question today in different ways, but are we willing to give up what we have by trusting in God's providence? And it echoes what, what Jesus says when he says, he who loses his life will find it. It's a paradox, and there's, there's a lot of those throughout uh, Jesus' teachings. <clears throat> so sometimes we're faced with a decision where on one side we can do what seems good to us, what makes sense, taking our last meal rather than giving it away. And on the other hand, trusting in God when God's way might seem like the way of death, uh, but it ends up turning out to be the way of life. So bringing it back to dedication, this widow had a difficult decision, and I, I wonder how long she thought about it. How long did it take her to make this decision? Uh, decision? And maybe she didn't have to think long about it. Maybe it was a, an easy decision for her. But I wonder if it would have made a difference if she would have had 10 meals left, or maybe 50. If she would have been good for another month yet, would she have been willing to do the same thing? Sometimes our trust in God means that we do something that seems to be bad for us and for our, our family. Our dedication takes sacrifice sometimes. And she showed her dedication by trusting in something more than herself. And her trust in God's promise ended up being life for her family. So how do we find life for our family, for our children, abundant life? Sometimes it means letting go of our ideas of what is good and, and trusting in God's way and his promise. It's probably uh, going to come to each of us in different, different ways. But coming up against a decision, am I going to take my way or God's way. So these are stories about mothers and their dedication in different ways to their children, but ultimately to God. I think we can see that in each of these stories, different aspects of what it means to be dedicated. And I think there's an application for all of us here as well. So we look at these stories and examples. We have people from 
different settings in life here. We're not all mothers, uh, but we can learn from this lesson of dedication that really shines out in mothers, and we can learn from, from mothers and their dedication. And to think about what we are dedicated to and how does that reflect our dedication to God. So to each mother here, I just want to give the encouragement to stay dedicated, no matter what that might look like. And to the rest of us, this Mother's Day, let's remember to give our mothers the recognition that they deserve for their dedication to us. It's an excellent reminder of Mother's Day to do that. So in closing, I do have something for each of the mothers here. each of the mothers, and I would ask that um, if your mother here and you have a child that can come front and get this carnation, uh, it can be the oldest child or, or whoever, uh, some child from your family, and I would like each child to present their mother with a flower. So come on up. Maya, do you want to come from? We've got a couple extras. I think we can hand out the extras here. One for everyone. Future mothers, current mothers, potential mothers, everybody. God bless you all. And why don't we stand for a closing word of prayer and then leave you have a dismissal song. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this gift of life. Thank you for our mothers and the dedication that they have showed to us. I pray that we could reflect our gratitude and uh, just, uh, we thank you so much for the, the gift that you have given to us. I pray that we would be faithful in, in showing our gratitude today. We ask for your blessing on us as we go from here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.